0: If you have a Bible, turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to continue our series today in Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're gonna, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through um, 11 today. Pastor Brian and Angela are uh, serving at a, a parent uh, family conference this weekend, and so I get the, the opportunity to share with you as we continue um, in this series You know, I was thinking today as I was uh, studying and just kind of thinking through uh, this passage, um, I I went back in my mind to to being a kid and, and specifically around the idea of how great it was to not have to go to school when you were supposed to go to school. Right? So, like, you ever had those days where, and it depends on your, your parents, right, or which parent you ask. So, I, I was blessed uh, with a mother who was very compassionate to my headaches and my stomach aches, if that makes sense, right? And so, I didn't have to try really hard uh, to be sick. Um, but you guys know, if we're honest, I mean, some of you are like, no, that wasn't my experience. I it was like limb falling off, tourniqueted up, you're going to school, don't miss the bus kind of thing, right? But, you know, it, it, was, it was great because I started thinking about that. Just, you know, how sometimes getting to do things you don't normally get to do is just just fun, right? And so, you know, back in my day, um, as as many of you, um, you know, there were certain TV shows and programs that came on during the day that if you were at school, you never got to see them. Uh, And it wasn't like you could stream them or DVR them later. It was like if it came on at 1030 and you weren't there at 1030, you didn't watch the show at 1030, right? And so being being at home, though, when you were kind of sick and not so sick you couldn't get out in the living room and watch a little TV, um, you know, one of the the, the favorite, though, were to watch some game shows uh, that were going on. Probably, you know, my favorite was Price is Right, right? And not like Drew Carey. Drew Carey's awesome, but Bob Barker, Price is Right. You know what I'm talking about? You know, back in the day, right? Uh, Another one was a show called Let's Make a Deal. You guys remember this? Now, I wasn't a kid during the first iteration of Let's Make a Deal with, you know, the original Monty Hall before he got older and all that kind of stuff, right? So I was more in like the new and improved uh, season, okay? And now there's another one with Wayne Brady. But the premise of Let's Make a Deal is is really this. There's not a whole lot of strategy to it. Um, Basically, adults will dress up and and you wear crazy costumes and you try to get noticed. And so the host will come around and he'll pick, you know, you because you are dressed like Bo peep or you're like dressed like whatever and you would come up and then you would like maybe do like a real simple game or he would just say listen pick an envelope and then you would get a prize and so maybe you got an envelope and that prize was three hundred dollars right and you're like oh great awesome and then the game would really start because what he would do is he would say okay you can keep the three hundred dollars that you have or you can trade it in for what's behind door number one Right? You guys remember this? And at that moment, kids are like, I don't know what you're talking about. But at that moment, you had to make a choice. Am I going to risk what I have for the potential of what's behind door number one or door number two or door number three? And so as a kid watching, what do you want the person to do? to risk it, right? It's no fun if it's like, here's $300. Thanks. You know, here's a TV. Thanks. Like, you you want the, you want the tension, right? So you're wanting to risk it. And sometimes you get to choose multiple one, two, or three doors, right? And you try to play along. And so at that moment, you know, they would trade it in and then it would be unveiled and it would either be a prize that was greater and you were a winner or it was a zonk. And it was like a broken down bike, you know what I mean? Or like a pig. I mean, it was something like, you know, ridiculous in that moment, right? And so, you know, the the whole premise of the game was this, is that you had to make a deal. and, And that deal would either be a good deal where you would give up something of lesser value for something of greater value. Or it'd be a bad deal where you would actually give up something of greater value and then you would get stuck with something of lesser value. You know what I'm talking about? And so I was thinking about that because in some way, this, just work with me here, in some way Paul is actually talking about the same type of thing. Because see, in life, we, we have to make decisions. And, and those decisions, you know, for all of us involve a lot of times having to decide what we're putting our greatest value on or greatest value in. We have to make a decision, am I going to choose this thing or that thing? Am I going to choose to do this or to do that? And if we're not careful in those situations, we could actually trade away something of greater value for something of lesser value and make a bad deal. But what we want to do in life is we want to actually trade away the lesser thing and embrace the greater thing. And see, when it comes to faith, when it comes to, 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 to Jesus Christ, when it comes to our heart and our soul and, and what we believe and who we trust in, we all make a decision at some point in our life, are we going to trust in a lesser thing or a greater thing? And, and that's where Paul is leading us today and leading his readers today is really think through, you know, where are you putting your value and your worth and where are you putting your hope when it comes to your eternity in a relationship with creator God? And in doing so, he he uses a group of people that were in the context of the early church that were making a bad deal. They were actually giving up something of greater value and settling for something of lesser value. And Paul doesn't want us to do that. And so, let's look at a couple of things here today. Let's read this. If you'll stand with me. We will read our passage today, Philippians three, starting in verse one. If you're new this morning, we uh, at the end of our main text reading, we say the phrase "the very words" uh, together, just to distinguish God's word from my own. Today, here's what Paul writes: "says Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble for me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh." For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, the persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Have a seat. So Paul begins this next section of his letter in verse 1 by saying, finally. Now we know Paul was a preacher at heart because he says, finally, and then writes two more chapters, right? Uh, you, everybody, Everybody's been there. It's like, hey, one last thing. And then the sermon's like 10 more minutes. You know what I mean? Like it really wasn't one last thing. But really, when you look at this word in the original Greek, it didn't, it didn't mean finally like one last thing. It really meant furthermore. It meant, uh, you know, so then or kind of so what. It was this idea of Paul saying, okay, because of what we have read, because of what we have seen, because of what I've, I've written to you, here's, here's, what, I want, here's what we're going to do with that. Here's, here's the so what, the difference that it makes. So let's do this because of what has been written. and So because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done, what, he, what he's doing, what he has promised to do, here's how we should live. And over the next 11 verses or so, now Paul didn't write verse one, verse two. He wrote a letter that we've made into individual verses. But, but you know, this next section of scripture, Paul talks about this, so what? Because of Jesus Christ, because of who he is, because of what he has done, because of his humility on the cross, because of not holding on, as Pastor Brian talked about last week, this position of, 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 of power and, and influence by sacrificing himself for us. Here's how we should live. And so I want to share with you as we walk through this five things to remember and to do that I see in these verses. Five things to remember and do because of who Jesus Christ is so that we can choose not the lesser thing, but we can choose the greater thing in life. The first one is this. Paul says that we need to remember to rejoice in the Lord. Look back at verse one. He says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. He says, celebrate in the Lord. Now, this is a theme that Paul used throughout his letter to the Philippians. This word rejoice, they're talking about joy. He talks about it 12 different times in this this letter. Where Paul wanted them to understand that, that choosing joy was, was, was a goal because of Jesus. That because of Jesus and living Christ for real is living Christ for joy. Rejoicing in Him, choosing Him. See, happiness is different than joy. We've all heard that, right? And it's true. Joy is, is internal. Happiness is external. Joy comes from something within that is consistent for us. Happiness is based upon external circumstances, right? And so he says, listen, don't allow your external circumstances to dictate the joy that you have in your life, but let Jesus Christ be that source of joy. So really, here's just a quick question as we begin. How joyful are you? You know, is joy truly defining your life or are you allowing the circumstances of your life to dictate your joy? Because if you're choosing your circumstances to be the, the catalyst of, of how you respond and how you feel, you're not choosing joy, you're choosing happiness. How are we choosing joy? Paul says, remember, rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul is writing from prison. Many believe in this this setting. And so if anybody has circumstances that would would say, listen, you don't have to be joyful, it's Paul. But Paul says, listen, regardless of that, choose joy. Next, he he talks about, he says this, he says this is how, how I phrase it, that to look out for those who place greater value in lesser things. So he says, look out for those who place greater value in lesser things. Look at verse two. He uses this phrase, look out three times in a row. It means beware or be warned against. And he, he's you know, repeating this for emphasis. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So Paul's talking to his readers and he's saying, look out for people that are like this. And he's going to define what that is. He's not saying literally look out for the dogs like they had packs of wild dogs running around. You know, it's like, he's not that. Paul's not a cat man, right? Well, that's not what we're saying. Okay, he might've been, I don't know. He's saying, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. See, in the context of, of, of Philippi, there was a, a pretty common false teaching that hadn't quite gotten there yet, but Paul was giving a preemptive strike in case it did. And it was this idea and this teaching that was coming from a group of Jewish Christians that were saying to truly be saved, to find salvation in Jesus Christ. You not only need to trust in Jesus Christ, but you have to follow all the Old Testament Jewish laws and regulations, including circumcision. And so the, you had this, this group that really began in, in Galatia where we see this, this is the biggest part of this, this, this coming. If you read the book of Galatians, Paul talks about it a lot in that, that setting. But he's saying, listen, watch out for those who are putting greater value in lesser things. This specific group that he uses, he, he describes them in this way. He describes them as dogs. Well, why would Paul do that? Well, because Paul's being ironic in, in these three descriptions. See, this group of Jewish Christians, some of them, they were, they were focused around the, the, the pursuit of ethnic purity when it came to being the people of God. So as Jews, they had looked down upon Gentiles, those who were not of Jewish pedigree, who were of Jewish lineage, and they actually referred to them at times as dogs. Paul's saying, listen, the real dogs are the ones that are exclusive in who Jesus Christ is for. And so you had some that were pushing this idea that you had to still be Jewish to be the people of God. He also calls them evildoers. Again, he's being ironic because this group of people put all of their pride and a lot of their stock in their good works, that they were do-gooders. And Paul says, you're actually evildoers. See, they were teaching, like I said earlier, that, that you had to follow all the Old Testament laws and Jewish customs to truly be saved. They trusted in their piety, their ability to kind of do all the right things. And then he calls them those mutilators of flesh. Well, what is Paul talking about here? Well, he's talking about circumcision. The Old Testament command to, to, for men to be circumcised is the people of God. But he, he does so, and again, in, 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 in an ironic way. He doesn't use the Greek word that was used for circumcision. He uses a different word that actually referred to pagan mutilation. And what he's saying is, listen, that, that, that you as this group of people that are out there that we need to look out for are those who, who believe that Christ is exclusive to one ethnic group. Those who believe that it's really about their good works and all the good things that they do that that make the biggest difference and make them right before God. And it's about those who are all about religious performance. While they may be circumcised, their hearts are far, far from God. So much so that their, their circumcision is actually nothing more than pagan mutilation. Now, why did these people present this? Some had really good intentions. Probably they, they loved their Jewish faith. They wanted to integrate Judaism and Christianity. Some may have had ill intentions, but regardless, Paul says, watch out for them because while they may have an appearance of godliness, their hearts are really far from God. They're settling for something lesser than what Jesus Christ alone can give. Jesus talked about the same group of people, the same way of thinking, in some ways, and not really the same group of people, the same way of thinking in Mark chapter 7. It says, And he said to him, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it's written, These people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commands of men. So Paul's saying, Look out for those who may have an appearance of godliness who may be relying in their their piety or their their, their pedigree or their their religious performance, but their hearts are truly far from him. You know, Paul wasn't anti-Jewish. Paul was anti a gospel that was different than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, listen, rejoice in the Lord always, but look out for those who would place greater value in lesser things because while they may appear godly, their hearts are truly far from him. And he goes on in verse three to, to, to talk about identity. And so here's the third thing you are taking notes, write this down. That Paul wants us, I believe, to know our identity and our calling. That we need to know our identity in Christ and know our calling in Christ. He says this, verse 3, says, for we are the circumcision. See, this group of, uh, of Jewish Christians who were pushing this, this false teaching considered themselves to be the quote-unquote circumcision, that we are the rightful people of God. But Paul says, listen, that they may appear a certain way, but they're settling for something far less than Jesus Christ. But know this, that though they may say you are not the people of God, you are actually the true circumcision. So circumcision was an Old Testament requirement that, that the men of Israel and those who would, who would be brought into the people of God would, would need to be circumcised. And it was a physical outward symbol and, and marking to identify a heart and a life that was dedicated toward following God. And, and it, it set them apart. It identified them as the true people of God. But Paul says, listen, they may appear godly because they they may have physical circumcision, but there's a circumcision of the heart and the soul and the spirit that's different, that is not based upon you, but based upon what Jesus Christ has done. And that makes you the true circumcision, the true people of God. He writes this in Colossians two eleven through 12. He says, in him, talking about Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul says, listen, the true circumcision, the true followers of God, the true people of God aren't those who are basing their life and their faith on their own performance, their own pedigree or their own piety? It's those who are basing who they are and their identity on Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They are the ones who are the true circumcision. They're the ones who are the true people of God. And Paul says, you need to know that while you may be accused of not being the people of God, you as God's followers, as Christ's followers, are truly the people of God. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Paul and Peter both say, as followers of Jesus, you need to know that you are the true people of God, that you are the ones who have embraced the true gospel one that is not based upon your background, that is based upon your ethnic lineage, the one that's not based upon how good you are or what performances and religious ceremonies you've been a part of. It's based upon the fact that you have given yourself over to Jesus Christ. And it is him who made you who you are. And so he not only goes on to say, hey, listen, here's your identity, but look back in Philippians 3 verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision. He he defines who we are. So, you know, you have the Judaizers, those who believe themselves to be the true circumcision. He says, no, you're dogs, you're mutilators of flesh. Like this is what marks your life. But he says, as the true circumcision, here's who we are. This is who, who and how we are defined. He says, who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says that those followers of Jesus who are the true circumcision are those who worship by the spirit of God. It means this, that we worship by God and God's spirit at work within us. We recognize that it's God's spirit that is at work within us, that that it's not our own performance. It's not our own good works that make us right with God that we glory in Christ Jesus, that when it comes to boasting or exalting in something, we exalt and we boast in Jesus Christ alone because it's not our works that save us. It is Jesus that saves us. And we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in what we do or don't do to please God because Jesus Christ is the only one who we can put confidence in. And those three defining characteristics are in, in stark contrast to those who would who would preach a different gospel, one that is based upon their 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 pedigree or their piety or religious performance. See, it's not about those things that make you or I right before a holy God. It's about Jesus and what He has done. And so Paul says, because of this, because we need to know our identity and our calling, because of this, we should, this is Paul talking, value Christ above all. Paul says, and I believe this is how to say it we value Christ above all and consider everything else a loss. So at this point, because of Jesus, we are making that deal. We're making that exchange. We're saying, okay, I'm not going to settle for the lesser, which is what I can do. I'm going to settle for the greater, which is what Jesus can done, has done. So Paul begins talking in a really interesting way here. He, he basically challenges those who would put all their faith and all their stock and trust in their own works in their own piety their own pedigree and performance to a challenge and he says listen if you want to compare resumes let's do it and i'm gonna win he says though i verse four myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also so if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh i have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, he goes on to say, as, as for zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. He begins to define everything that would have made him the, the model of what it meant to be a person who was basing their own faith and their own identity on their own religion. So if you wanna talk about who's Jewish, I'm the most Jewish person there can be. If you want to talk about a person who's followed all the right rules and laws, I'm blameless in that. If you want to talk about somebody who's done it all, who's been there, I win. But look at verse 7. But in light of all of that, here's what Paul says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish. He says, if you want to play the comparison game, I'll put my life up against anybody else's when it comes to my own religiousness. But he says, but whatever that gained me, I've counted it a loss. Why? Because Jesus is greater. Because whatever gain I had, so everything that that could have gotten me, everything that did get me, every privilege, every credential, everything that that, that he was, he was known as a rabbi. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a known man. Paul says, I've given up all of that because Jesus is greater. He said, not only that, I've given up everything, That nothing in my life compares to knowing Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. He says, even for his sake, he, Paul even says, listen, I mean, I'm in prison right now, basically. I've, I'm doing all I can for Jesus, but even that is not as important to me as Jesus Christ. Because I consider them rubbish, trash, refuse, waste, dung. That's what that word means. It's, it's everything that you don't hold on to and keep. Paul says all of these lesser things that at one time made up my identity and what I thought was my calling as a person in trying to please God, I've given up all of those things for something and someone so much greater. Paul made a good deal. He chose Jesus above all. And so because he was valuing Christ above everything and because he had counted everything else as a loss, his life was focused around and, 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 and geared around, he was oriented around, around Jesus. What does it mean to value Christ above all? Well, I think it means that we orient our heart, our passions, our pursuits, our calendar, our time, our finances, our careers, our family, everything around knowing Him, following Him, and glorifying Him above all. And that everything that we take pride in, anything that we would boast in, anything that we would trust in, has to begin with Him. Because there's nothing greater. And to trade Jesus away for anything else is to make a bad deal, It's to give up the greater for something much less. And because of that, Paul then brings us to our fifth thing I would say is this, is that because of valuing Jesus, then we will pursue what is greater and lasting. That we'll pursue what is greater and lasting. That if we choose to trust in Jesus over ourselves, we will pursue the greater things and the things that last for eternity. And we won't settle for the lesser things. You know, Paul said that he counted all of this a loss. Look at verse eight in chapter three again. He counted all that a loss in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness for my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says, listen, I've given up all of that stuff so that I can gain and pursue what is greater. What are those things? He says, I I want to, to gain Christ. I want to know Jesus in a personal way, not just to know about him, but I want to know him. I want a relationship with him and I want to know all he can bring to my life. Paul says, I want to be found in him. So not having my own righteousness, but found in who Jesus is and what he has done for me. And I want to have that righteousness that only comes from him. Paul says, I want to pursue what is greater and what is lasting because I've chosen the greatest, which is Jesus. He goes on to say this in verse 10. He says, in pursuing that, here's the goal, here's what he wants. He goes, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul desires, he says, Listen, because I choose to rejoice always, because I'm looking out for those who would who would make greater who would make lesser things the greatest thing because I'm valuing Christ above all, because I know my identity, because I know my calling, because I'm pursuing these things. This is my goal. This is what I want to see. So I want to know Christ. Again, he comes back to the fact he wants to know Jesus in a personal, intimate, relational way as his savior and his Lord. He doesn't want to just know things about him. He wants to know him. There's a big difference in knowing things about somebody in knowing a person. see, so imagine like going to a bookstore, right? And I go pick up a book that says Kristen Ashley on it. It's my wife. And you open up the book and there's like, you know, the intro and it, Talks about when she was born and where she was born, talks about her hair color and her eye color, and you know, just a lot of facts about who she is. And like, okay, that would be knowing about her. But the book that I have isn't just the list of facts. It's knowing her over twenty plus years of marriage. It's knowing her personality, it's knowing things that 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 are 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 so much deeper and richer than just facts. See, I'm afraid that for some of us, we settle for the table of contents version or the intro version, the Wikipedia version of Jesus. It's a whole lot of stuff to know, but it's not a whole lot of experience to be a part of. Paul says, I wanna know Christ. I wanna know the power of his resurrection. I wanna know the power of, of, of the Holy Spirit working in my life the same power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in and through me. So I want to share in his sufferings because Jesus suffered for me. I I want to, I want to suffer for the gospel. I want to be so faithful that if it costs me something, then I'm willing to endure that. And I'll do so with joy that I want to become like him in death, that I want to die to sin in my life. I want victory over the the, the sin and the the habits and the things that may keep me from pursuing God's best for me. He says, I want to attain the resurrection from the dead, that I I want to be with Christ always. See, Paul counted everything as lost compared to Jesus so that in Jesus, he could pursue things that are greater and lasting. Number one, and most importantly, he could pursue knowing Jesus and what it meant to truly live Christ for real. And see, we have that same choice that we make with our life. We make that deal. And so the question I have for, for us today as we, we, we end our time is this, is are you choosing something of lesser value over that which has the greatest value? When it comes to your faith, when it comes to your life, when it comes to a relationship with God, are you pursuing that relationship based upon lesser things? Your background, your good works, your church attendance, all the good things that you do, or are you first and foremost pursuing God through Jesus Christ? knowing that apart from Jesus, everything else is a loss. See, the good news of the gospel is this, is that we don't have to settle for the lesser things. We, we can actually have the greatest. John 3.16 tells us this, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, God is given to us, regardless of our background, our ethnicity, our pedigree, all that. God is given to us, Jesus, that if you would believe in him, value him above everything else and count everything else as a loss, that you will be saved, that I will be saved. Paul wrote in Romans Romans 10, 9 and 10 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So the question really is we finally end. Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If not, you are settling for something less than Jesus. And if you have, here's the daily challenge. To keep choosing the greater. Let's pray together. Father, we come in this moment grateful for your word. Grateful for your truth, grateful, God, that, that, that you use Paul, a man like us, who through the power of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Spirit, God wrote a letter to a group of Christians in Philippi. And God, that letter is what we have today. And while that letter was written in the context of a specific time and group of people, God, your spirit makes that letter timeless. And so God, I wanna pray for, for all of us today, God, that if there's anyone here who has never confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, who've never believed in their heart that God raised him from the grave, that today they would do that and they would choose the greater and that they would be saved. And God, for those of us who, who have made that, that choice, we've, we've made that good deal. We've we've, we've, we've embraced the greater and given up the lesser. God, I pray that every single day we would not be tempted to grab those lesser things again and bring them back into our life in a way that they don't need to be there. But every single day, we would consider everything else a loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ. So God, have your way in us today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.